Good morning. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. Um, great to be back. It's like walking. Uh, honestly, it's like home. Um, just being with everybody and it's very comfortable. It's um, great just to, to see everybody and uh, all the old faces um, and, um, and young faces. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so I, I have, I think it's, it hasn't even been a year um, since I've left, uh, but um, we, we had moved um, due to um, our ministry. We, we moved to Richland Center um, because we wanted to, um, we do lawn care during the summer, and then we run a ministry in El Salvador um, in, uh, well, that's year-round, but it, what we do is we are starting a foster care system and working with the foster care, working with the church specifically, um, and the Lord has really blessed that. Um, we got our, um, our first family, and uh, we were blessed to receive our first uh, three children, I guess, we've had last year. Um, and uh, we got to spend a, a month last year. And this, this year, the Lord has blessed us with two months. And so the process of, uh, the, the purpose of us moving to Richland Center was that our, um, we would have a house that we could come in the summer, um, to do our lawn care, and then in the winter, it would be able to be maintained and watched over. We wouldn't be renting a place while we're not here, um, and um, we would be able to go to El Salvador in the winter to kind of just help run the ministry. And this year, we're actually leaving Wednesday. We head to El Salvador, and we get to go there for the Lord has blessed us with two months um, this year, and we're going to be able to, yeah, it's we get to um, work with the. The church this time. Last time we came, we went. We just had to get government stuff done. But this year, we get to just uh, work with the church, uh, build our relationship with the church down there, and hopefully, um, Lord willing, we'll get more families that will be able to pour Christ into these children. But I am I am truly privileged to be here um, to be able to speak the word of God, and I'm going to be going through Philippians. I have been doing um, Philippians for I don't know, probably a couple years now, slowly going through the book. Um, but uh, I try to treat each teaching by itself in a sense, but um, also keep in context with the book. But I am in uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 7 at this point. Um, and we're not going to get all the way through 7, but I'll read through it. But um, I'll pray, and then uh, we'll get into the Word. Father, we truly thank you, God, for, um, God, just for who you are. To be able to come and be together, Lord, your, your body, Lord, it's, um, it's great fellowship, God, just the, the unity in the body, just to be able to see brothers and sisters, Lord, and God, I cannot wait for your return, to be able to um, be with you forever, Lord, and this will be our eternity with one another, worshiping you, Lord Jesus Christ, and um, God, it truly is a privilege just today to be able to get into your word that you have opened up our eyes and our ears to your scriptures to come to know you, God, that is um, sometimes taken for granted, Lord. And God, I, I truly thank you for your patience with us. God, I pray that your word will go forth. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So like I said, we'll be in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be uh, just reading 1 through 7. Therefore, my brothers, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintich to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, So the context of this book, Paul is in prison. Um, He has been jailed. He's writing this letter. This is about 10 years, actually, after this church um, has already been planted. Um, Paul was imprisoned uh, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, he, he got some updates from some people in prison that came to visit him. And he is now sending this letter um, to this church in Philippi. And so we pick, here, pick up here in, in verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We see here at verse 1, it starts with, therefore, my brothers. Therefore is a connecting word. It's a word that tells you context is key. Because if the scriptures are taken out of context, then people can come up with some pretty crazy stuff. So we must remember that context is key. You have to understand the totality of the scriptures. And in order to know the totality of the scriptures, you need to be in the scriptures, which we are extremely blessed with in our, in our age with the printing press, taken for granted as well, I think, sometimes. But in order for us to understand the scriptures, we have to be in them. Paul here is giving a conclusion to what he has said before this and is going to give the action that needs to be taken in applying the truth in the next few verses. So it is crucial for us to know what has happened before this chapter. Like We cannot just come, up, come and pick up in chapter 4 and never learn what was said before chapter 4. But we also do not have enough time to explore the depths of what is in this book, in just the book of Philippians. It is a mine of endless treasures. But what Paul is about to address here in the next few verses, Paul has actually been addressing in the entire book. It's just now he is going to be calling on the church to take action and that it is now time for the church to show their faith by their actions. It is time for the church to show their faith by their works. Because as us as believers, our works will demonstrate our faith in what we believe. So verse 1 continues. Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Here we see Paul again let this church know his deep love for this specific church. He loves them and he longs for them. He wants to be with them. And for us, church, as we all know here, this is crucial for us to understand. See, if if someone doesn't want to be with the church or go to church and prefers to watch good teachers who are sound teachers, because there are some good Bible-believing teachers who are truly saved and teaching God's truth on YouTube, 
and there isn't a lot, but there is a few, but if someone says, I'm going to stay home and have church in my home to watch these great Bible-believing teachers, and that's my church, I will question what they truly believe. And I guarantee you that the very teachers they are watching, if they are good and true to God's word, would also tell them not to have church at home. See, we want to be with each other. Now, I understand, like, in this, there is, like, some medical issues some people do have, but that is very, very few. And I'm not talking about that. But we, church, we are meant to have church in person. And anyone declaring different is not applying the scriptures correctly. It will be hard at times, and we will see this in, when we get into verse 2, but in the end, we come together and we long for each other. And this in itself is a testimony of salvation and the work of God in us. See, God is glorified in our meeting together. Paul longs to be with the brothers and sisters in Philippi because he has a God-given love for the people of God. Paul goes on to say, my joy and crown. So Paul is talking to this congregation. So is Paul here man-focused? Because he says that this congregation is his joy and his crown. But by no means is this man-focused. This crown that Paul says here is a prize that is given to people who win in public games. They are given this crown or this wreath. It is victory. It is a reward given. Paul says here that this congregation is his prize. Think about Paul's heart here. He is victorious when others get saved and are bearing fruit, growing in holiness. So Paul says this congregation is his joy and crown because the Lord is at work in this congregation. The Lord is the one that started the work in the people, and the Lord is the one who finishes it, and we see that in, in chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is just the vessel that the Lord has called to be used. But see, the Lord is the one who started the work in Paul as well. And the Lord is the one who will finish the work in Paul. And the Lord has put this joy in Paul for the Lord's church and for his people. Paul's calling was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. See, the Lord saved him to use him for this purpose. And then the Lord gives him fruit, this church in Philippi. And the Lord gives Paul great joy in this. The ones that Paul used to actually seek to jail and kill as we saw back in Philippians 3, 6, where Paul says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul no longer seeks to kill. Paul now has a joy in seeing the church freed from their bondage, freed from their sin through the proclamation of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul can now proclaim through the saving work of Jesus Christ here in Philippians 4, 1, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, brothers and sisters. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We see here now this word, stand firm. This word here means to persevere, to keep one's standing, to not be moved away from. There is a deep foundation. And what is this deep foundation built on? It says the Lord. See, it says Stand firm, thus, 
in the Lord. Paul says this at the end of verse 2 as well. If you look at the end of verse 2, Paul says to agree in the Lord. And then at the beginning of verse 4, it says to rejoice in the Lord. And this is what Paul has actually been repeating throughout the entire book. Here in verse 1 of chapter 4, the scripture declares that the Lord is the foundation. And if we are in him, we cannot be moved. Therefore, stand firm thus in the Lord. And how can I know this to be true? What do we have in the Lord that we can stand firm in? What do we have in the Lord that we can agree on? And what do we have in the Lord that we can rejoice in? If you can, go over to chapter 1, verse 6, and it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So to the question, what do we have? In ourselves, we actually have nothing. Do you know, brother and sister, that apart from Christ, we were enemies of God? We hated everything he stands for when we committed one single sin. And I know we say this, but do we actually know it? Look what it says here in verse 6 of chapter 1. He who began a good work in you. See, he's the one that began the work in us. But still, how can we know this is to be, this is foundational? How can we stand firm on this? Because he who began the good work in you, he's also the one who will complete the work Amen. in the day of Jesus Christ. And see, that's a promise. And God does not lie. We can stand firm on this, knowing that I am actually nothing, but he is everything. This is not what society will tell us. See, they will tell us, you can be whoever you want. Just put your mind to it, and you can do and be anything. You and I live in the United States of America. We have everything and anything we want. We can have any education. We can pretty much do any job. And honestly, we have so many help programs that we can even stay home and not work and just receive government money and do nothing, and we will still live better than 90% of the world. They will say, be whoever you want to be, and you will be happy. But see, this lifestyle will only lead you down a path of despair. You will enter life thinking all you need is that one car. But once you get it, then the joy of that new car wears off. And then you'll say, all I need is a house. Then that new house becomes your old house. And then you'll say, all I need is that one job. Then that one job becomes your normal job. And then you'll say, well, now I need a new truck. See, that new car became an old car. And so now I need to restore my joy again. And so I have to get this new truck. This is the hopeless pursuit of our American dream. And this American dream is a sandy foundation that we cannot live. See, it is a death trap. And I'm not against us having these things. We need these things to survive. We need cars, and we need houses. 
Men need to be providing for their family. That glorifies as God in itself. But what we need to do is be checking what our dependence is on. Are you trying to store up your treasures, your treasure here on this earth? Are we chasing after all this world can offer us? See, we are called to be in this world, but we are not of this world. This is not our home. Yes, amen. So don't try to get comfortable here. See, that's well, we are called to start serving the Lord, and it's today. Don't wait for tomorrow. And I'm not saying serve the Lord in busyness, but serve the Lord in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the Lord gives gifts to his people, and we get to use them for his glory today, trusting in him, trusting in the Lord. See, our hope, our foundation has to be on the Lord and on his work and what he is doing. See, my, my foundation is on the person of Christ, who he truly is. See, he was in the beginning God. He had everything, completely content within himself. But to restore the relationship that we broke, he left it all, came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life out in the flesh. He was hung on a cross, publicly displayed, and murdered to pay our debt. He was the only sacrifice that could pay for our sins. He was buried, putting our sin in the grave. He rose the third day, demonstrating that he was God and that the grave cannot hold him. He has defeated death. He was witnessed by hundreds. And then he ascended into heaven and is on the throne making intercession for the saints, for you and I. So when we see here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm thus in the Lord, there's actually a lot just in there. I stand firm and am not moved, not because I am strong, but because he is. Amen. I am not moved no matter what the circumstances are because of his work on the cross. In his declaration, it is finished. Brothers and sisters, I have nothing new to tell you, but only that which has already been proclaimed since the foundation of the world. We were a dead lump of dirt until he breathed his life into us. And I pray that we, church, will persevere in our reliance upon him and his finished work. And that we, as a body, will pour into each other. And we will pour the love of God that he himself has demonstrated in his son, Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul is going to be talking about in the next few verses of chapter 4. So let's read through chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And there's names in here, and I'm going to mess them up. That's what I do. But I, entreat, I try to listen to somebody and how to say them. And when I read it, I don't say it the way they do. But the names don't matter. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintich to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we have a few people here listed. We have Iodia and Sintech and we have in verse 2. Then in verse 3, we have the true companion. 
it says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So we have to figure out who this true companion is. We also have a man by the name of Clement mentioned in verse 3, with more, um, a more vague statement, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in verse 2, we have these two women. We know they are women by what is said in verse 3. It says, help these women. I know some of you might be like, all right, Trevor, that's pretty obvious that these are women. But, um, and I agree completely, but um, as I have investigated the scripture and, and studied it, and then I went to different sources to see um, uh, what others have to say, because I don't want my interpretation to be much more, my, my interpretation should not be much different than um, some others. But I have also found some sources that have come up with some pretty um, crazy options of who these women can be. So we have to remember that these, are, these two women, they're having um, a little disagreement in the church. And now, I'm not going to go into um, all the things because they're, like all these things that these other people have come, their foundation is always the same. What they do is they take the scriptures out of context. Each, in each one of um, the crazy like misinterpretations of the scripture, they all come from the assumptions of man and not foundational truth of what has already been said in the scriptures. And this is why I told you before that in verse 1, that word therefore is a very important word. Knowing that the context, what has, has Paul been speaking in the scriptures? Because our interpretation of the scriptures determines our application of the scripture. And if you get the interpretation wrong, you will get the application wrong most of the time. And so, church, we are, we are called to apply this truth to our daily lives. We are, we are called to obey the scriptures. So this situation, what is happening here? We have these two women. Um, they are called... Paul has called them to agree in the Lord. And he, he says, I, I beseech you, which is um, a strong encouraging for them to agree in the Lord. And then in verse 3, it says that the true companion is to help these two women to agree in the Lord. So obviously, like I said before, these women are not agreeing and are disagreeing. There is a conflict. There is some sort of division between these women. What that conflict is, we don't know. Paul doesn't say, but we know that it is affecting the church. Mainly, I mean, you can see here because Paul has to mention it in this letter to them, but this, this disagreement that these women are having is going into the congregation. How do we know that this is um, going into the congregation? We can look at verse 3. It says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So who is this true companion? This word here for companion means to join together or to yoke together. Like two oxen pulling one wagon. They are a team with one goal. Some have said that this could, this could be the name of a certain man in the congregation, possibly. But this word here is used in the Greek to describe one's spouse or a fellow laborer or a colleague. This is used singular, not plural. So the question again is then, who is this one person? Is it a man's name? 
Is it referring to someone who Paul isn't naming, seeing that it is used to describe a single relationship between two? Again, many have come up with many options on who this one person could be that Paul is addressing, to be the one to help these women to come together and agree in the Lord. But Paul has actually been saying something throughout the entire epistle that I think we should not overlook. So if we go, I'll take us through a couple verses in the epistle, and we will go to to chapter 1, verse 1. That will kind of help us, I think, be able to interpret who this um, one person is. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Here we see that who Paul is writing to. He is writing this letter to all the saints. And then he, he, had, he adds the overseers, that, which are your elders and pastors, and your deacons. So there is, there is order in this church. This church has been set up like... Paul tells Timothy in the pastoral epistles. Now if we go to uh, verses 9 through 11, it says, And it is my prayer, saints, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants them to be united. Then we go to verse 27 of chapter 1. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says here, don't, don't pretend to be, don't pretend in church. Don't pretend it, like, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, whether I come and see you or am absent. Let it be the same. And then he says, standing firm in one spirit, that is singular, and he is talking to the entire church. That your manner of life be worthy, and that you be of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. Then if we go to, these would be the last ones, we go to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, here we have the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is, that is singular, and he was talking to the entire church. So, going back to chapter 4, verse 2. So, seeing the context of what has actually been said in this book, this body is to be of one mind. They are one. So going then here to Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, when it declares, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. I believe that the true companion actually spoken here is the entire church, all the saints. See, we church are of one mind. We church are of 
one spirit, one goal, to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we are called to be one. And the church in the New Testament is described as the bride of Christ, one. Because this letter has been addressing the whole church this entire time. He has not gone out of addressing the church. He is still calling, addressing the entire church. And as we read through the rest of chapter 4, he's still addressing the entire church. So what does this mean for us? The scripture here calls for unity, not division. See, there is no place for people to take sides. Both parties or both groups are called to make peace. The entire church is called to help these two women, which are two parties, who have actually served and fought, as we see Paul continue, for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, as church members, are not called to entertain the thought of gossip or backbiting. They are called to unite these two women, the two parties, to help them, to aid them in making peace with each other. See, we church, we, we tend to make groups. There are, there are certain people who we will like to hang out with more than others. And honestly, that's, that just happens. Like, that's not wrong in itself. And if, but if someone in that group gets offended by another person outside of that group in the church, and then you go, then, in, then you and your group start to talk bad about the person who offended you, see, that's not right. We cannot allow our brothers and sisters to cause us to think badly about another brother or sister with gossip. Now, if there is sin, we have been given a process to follow in addressing sin. You, you bring, you go to your brother, you go to him and you address him one-on-one. -on -one. And you, you call it out. And then um, you go to them, with, with, that's with one, and then if, if they don't hear, then you bring another. And you, you go to them with two. And then if it's bad enough, then you, you go before the whole entire church. But in this situation with these two women, that's not what it seems to be happening here. Here, these two women, it seems more like a disagreement than a huge wrongful sin. And Paul is asking the entire church not to take part in taking sides with one party over the other, but to actually bring each party together and unite them. This is what we, church, need to do. We bring the parties together, not separate. Never take opportunity to talk bad about another brother or sister to try to separate. We need to unite the church. Amen. Look what we have to understand. Like What we have to understand is that every single one of us here are sinners. We're not here because we are perfect. We are here because we know that we need a Savior. And we must keep that focus and stay humble. We are not any better than any other. And remember that God shows no partiality. This is, church, how we stay united and of one mind. We must truly come to forgive the others when they offend us. We must go against our own wills to divide and to separate ourselves from others when they offend us. Church, we come together. Even when it's hard 
we still push through it and come together. And we are able to do this because we remember what our Savior has done for us. And I know this is really easy for me to just stand up here and say, but when someone comes and offends us, it is a lot harder for us to apply in our lives. We church, we are called to make peace with each other. And the entire church body is called to participate in the peacemaking, not in dividing. And I will be honest, it is easier for us to divide. If there is a conflict, it is easier for me to stay home and not come to church and deal with the conflict. Peacemaking is something you have to work towards. It does not come easy. We also have to remember as believers, we have to remember to not take offense so easily. So Paul calls on the, on the church to help these, these women make peace. And Paul then speaks very highly of the women in the middle of verse 3. You can see he says, they have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. See, we see another person is mentioned here, Clement, and we, we really know nothing about this man, um, but, but that he also is about the proclamation and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there are the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life at the end of verse 3. So here at the end, we see this book of life that has the names of the saints written in it. And this is what leads us actually into the next verse. But before we continue to the next verse, I actually want us to hop over to, um, to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. And you can keep a mark in Philippians because we'll go right back. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, here Jesus, he has sent out 70 people before him to go into all the towns that he plans to go and visit. Um, and they, they are to proclaim um, the kingdom has come. And the 70, they go, they heal the sick, um, they cast out demons, and they proclaim the word of God. And that's where we come to here in verse 20. And this is Jesus. Jesus says, nevertheless, because these men were, these men were man, we, we were controlling demons. They, were, they submitted to us. And Jesus said in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The book of life. God knows those who are his, and you can know that you are his. Amen. How? How do we know we are his? What are, what are we trusting in? What are we working for? Where is our treasure? Are we building our treasure here on the earth? All the things you can get? Or are we trusting in the Lord's provision? When's the last time before you ate a meal and the meal is laid before you? You looked at the meal 
and weren't sure it was enough food to fill all your family's stomachs. And so you prayed, Lord, please give each one of us the nutrients needed to do your work today. Lord, please fill my kid's stomach. And then after you eat, you see God has took that food and multiplied it. And you glorify God because he took a little food and made it much. When is the last time that we did this? Or is it, Lord, thanks for the food. We're good. We're all going to be filled, taken for granted. Again, I'm not trying to beat us up, but I want us to understand that here in America, we are spoiled. We expect our fridges to be full. Have we ever went to our fridges and opened it and fell on our faces and praised the Lord for the provision that he has given us, the food for our families, and it will feed our families for days. We're even going to throw it away. Throw some away. Or do we just expect it to be filled? Take it again for granted. Or our bank accounts. Are we trusting in our bank accounts? Now, I wouldn't try this, because it would not be wise. But think about it. Just think if everyone here decided, I want to go to my bank and withdraw all my money and start using only cash. Do you think you, if you walk up in your bank and ask for all your cash, that they would be able to give, you, give it to you that day? Probably not. And then think if everyone, every single person did that, what would happen? The banks most likely would not be able to provide all that cash. And so in pointing this out, I'm not trying to cause more concern, but what are we trusting in? Some number that some stranger tells me is in my account that they are managing? See, that number that they give you can be erased very quickly. And brothers and sisters, what are we trusting in? What are we working for? Are we being conformed to the image of Christ more and more on a daily basis? Or are we being conformed to this world that will tell you where your hope, that will tell you where your hopeful lays? Because if you are being conformed to the image of Christ and depending on him more and more, our names are written in the book of life. And the, the awesome thing about that is no one can erase that. See, that is a foundation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, as it reads in Philippians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Foundational, rejoicing in the Lord. In this section, we have seen... Um, Three times the statement, in the Lord. Again, we saw it in verse 1. It says, stand firm, thus in the Lord. At the end of verse 2, it says, agree in the Lord. And then here in verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord. This is foundational. It is not based off of emotions, and it is not based off of circumstances. Jesus' last words were what? It is finished. 
on the cross. Brothers and sisters, the, the plan from the beginning to the end is finished. Look up in, in chapter 3, verse 20. It declares, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is present citizenship. Are you waiting for him? See, it is finished, yet we wait. But the one to whom we wait is the one who is true to his word. We cannot grow weary, brothers and sisters. We do not have time to waste bickering amongst each other. Make peace with your brothers and sisters to the best of your ability. If you see a brother or sister struggling, encourage them so that we do not grow weary. See, we need each other and do not neglect the meeting with one another. Brothers and sisters, do not be so prideful that your brother or sister in Christ is not able to speak into your life. And you are so easily offended. Rejoice in the Lord that they are willing to come to you and speak into your life because they care for you. See, we cannot be so Americanized and independent. And we don't want to take advantage of the church. But we in America are very independent and so easily offended. We need to grow in the Lord and who he is. And I just want to finish by reading the rest of the verses. Verses 5 through 7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be approachable. Be caring. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, that's crucial. Thanksgiving. Let your thanksgiving be thankful. See, the Lord, if he can provide for the animals, for the birds, how can he, why would he not provide for his children? Be thankful for what he has given us. In verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. See, his peace, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard our hearts and our minds, and it will keep us in Christ. We cannot let bitterness, we cannot let divisions arise within our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we truly thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you for your work. Lord, that you are truly the only one that can heal the relationship, Lord. And you left it all and brought peace. God, and you have released us from all the weights. God, and all the, the sins in which we have committed. Lord, we are free in you, Christ. I pray that we would grow in you more, who you are. God, I pray that... Um, we would hunger to know you more. I pray that you would continue just to open up our eyes and our ears, that we would never be, um, that we would be content, but never be content with um, how much we know, but continue just to dig into your word. 
seeking your truth. God, I thank you for the brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that you will continue just to, to use the brothers and sisters. God, that we would continue just to um, be focused on you. That fathers would be fathers to the children. Husbands, husbands to their wives. Wives, wives to their husbands. And mothers, mothers to their children. Give us wisdom in this, God. That we would point them to you, Christ. God, that we would not be conformed to this, this world, God, that is um, constantly grabbing at our eyes and grabbing at our, our hearts. Guard your people, I pray. God, that we would be dependent upon you and not the things that are going to be left here on this earth. That we would remember we take nothing with us. But give us wisdom in that which you have given us. God, that we will use it for your glory. And I thank you, God, that you do do that in us. And I thank you. And it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen.